Darnell Williams at the tailback. They'll hand it off to Williams up the middle. 25. Cuts it inside. 30. 35. 40. There goes Cadillac. To the 50. To the 40. To the 30. To the 20. To the 15. 10. Go crazy, Cadillac. Go crazy. Touchdown. Now they can play a little safer. But they're not going to. Nix is back. Throws it downfield. Caught. Touchdown, Williams. A 20-yard attempt. Josh Harris, the snapper. He'll call to the place. He'll hold it. Byron waits for the snap to the place. There it is. The kick is up. The kick is good. Auburn wins. 22-19. What's going on, everybody? And welcome to another episode of the Red Cup Auburn podcast. As always, my name is Noble, and I'm joined here with my co-host, Wheeler. Today, we're going to be going through a lot of the scrimmages, the past two scrimmages that the Auburn football team has had. We're going to be talking about the practice uh, that happened when we were filming this. It happened yesterday. Uh, a lot of the talk has been TJ versus Bo. We're going to address that, talk about some recruiting that happened on Thursday, and have a little bit of discussion about uh, past quarterbacks at Auburn and how they compare to our current room. But anyway, uh, we can just jump right into it. Wheeler, what were your what are your thoughts? What have you been hearing about the two scrimmages plus the practice, especially with an emphasis on how Bo Nix has performed? Yeah, so we said when TJ first came that it was just like ridiculous. It wasn't a quarterback competition or whatever. And I definitely still think that Bo's going to be the starter, but it sounds like TJ may be giving him a little bit more of a run for his money than we initially thought it would be. I also, from stuff that I've heard from, you know, reading practice reports and other stuff, is that the scrimmages have not been very offensive friendly. Uh, And what I mean by that is, like, they haven't really been mixing run and pass. You know, it's been, like, very situational. Basically, we're going to run a bunch of plays. We're going to run, you know, counter left with the first team, the second team, and the third team, and then we're going to run counter right, you know, that kind of thing. And there hasn't been a lot of running because the coaches felt like from the spring and from film last year that the uh, the offensive line's kind of strength probably is their run blocking right now. Um, and obviously you have Tank as your number one running back, Sean as your number two running back, um, and probably the thing that you really want your – Jacquez Hunter and other uh, young running backs learning is their pass pro. That's typically what young running backs have to learn in their first uh, year. You know, that's typically what keeps them from playing. Um, So it's been a lot of pass heavy defense, knowing that it's going to be passes and basically, you know, running the exact same play over and over, which has not been good. Um, We've also heard that the decision-making um, has been a little bit of an issue both with TJ and with Bo. Um, from what we've heard, though, uh, TJ looks really good in those little 20-minute video snippets that the media is able to see where no one's rushing him. You know, he's just thrown against air or whatever. Um, but that when the pressure comes on, um, not necessarily like pressure like, oh, my goodness, I'm nervous, but like pressure of linebackers are trying to tackle you or there's hands up and stuff, uh, that he is really not very mobile. Um, and that that's not a great thing with Auburn's offensive line this year. Um, 
you know, everyone says that the offensive line having a year under their belt will improve. And I do think they will, especially once they have a cohesive unit. Uh, but as of right now, with the mixing and the mingling between guys, um, I really think that the coaches are trying to teach the offense, the base offense, and they're not as concerned. You know, we as fans are always thinking about, you know, how does the team look? Or are we going to be good or not? Whereas the coaches are not necessarily doing the scrimmage as like a peek into the season to see if we're going to be good or to see if they need to like start sending out applications to other schools. Like they're trying to teach things. And so they're trying to teach the defense, Hey, when you identify this, this is the call you make. Hey, when you're on offense, Hey, we're all, you know, we're going to run this play three times in a row because I want to see that Bo knows how to do this. I want to see that TJ and I want to see that Demetrius all can say, all right, we're, they're running cover two, they're running, you know, man zone, whatever, and try and start reading defenses. Um, and they're less concerned with the outcomes um, other than the decision-making, which we've heard. I mean, Harson said after his first press conference that he was not super pleased with the quarterback's decision-making. So hopefully that improves. I mean, we have two more weeks till the season and then really four weeks till the season gets going. So – yeah, and I think that another thing, if you look at, you know, if you look at kind of T.J. Finley's game log while he was at LSU, you've got two games that stick out, uh, South Carolina and Arkansas. You know, both of those teams were probably lower than LSU in skill level. He had a ton of time, and he could sit in the pocket. I mean, he picked South Carolina apart. I, mean, I think he only had four incompletions, and they, I mean, they won pretty convincingly. Had a good showing against Arkansas, but he played Auburn, Texas A&M, and Alabama and was not good. I mean, simple as that. He was just not good. And I think that that is, you know, building on what you said, and it's not good for how Bo Nix is going to be seen in the light by the fans. Because when we see T.J. Finley, he's going to be coming in when we're up big against Akron, when we're up big against Bama State, when we're up big against Georgia State. T.J. Finley is going to sit in the pocket. He's going to throw darts. He's going to look like Tom Brady. I mean, he's going to look great. And if Bo has, struggles against Penn State or LSU or whatever, people are going to be like, oh, look how good T.J. is. This is absurd that he's not starting. I mean, we've seen that. We saw that with Grant Lloyd before Grant Lloyd even played. And so I think that that is something that you got to watch out for. Just, I mean, that's going to happen. Uh, I think that Bo, Bo Nix is definitely the starter. I mean, you could see it in practice. There was no time when TJ Finley came out with the ones in, in practice yesterday. And so Bo Nix is the starter. Bo Nix still has to define his game, but – I think it's going to be interesting to see in a game environment how he performs when the defense doesn't know what's coming and it's game time, you know? I mean, because there's, there's – I mean, everyone's going to play different in a game than they do in practice. That's just how it works. So I definitely think that that is something we need to watch. And I think it's really a blessing that you've got Akron and Bama State week one and two to kind of ease into it. And I think, you know, you are going to see improvement year to year but I think it's hard to expect a guy whose habit is to run right outside of the pocket and throw with his feet not set. Go from doing that, I would say fairly consistently, to never doing it, mm-hmm. you know? And so I don't think people need to get so caught up on it happened one time. It's, is it happening every time still? Because that's a problem. 
Um, it's probably going to happen still a little bit. But if he's able to plant his feet and have some more good throws than those throws, that's where it's going to really be helpful. Um, yeah. So I, I think – there's this weird thing that people don't like Bo Nix, but then, I mean, we're going to talk about it later. We did a kind of a poll on the page about, you know, is Bo Nix better than this guy? Is Bo Nix better than this guy? And those are guys that Auburn fans at the time really liked as quarterbacks. And so I don't know if it was because Bo came in with like such a high expectation or what the situation is about Bo, but yeah, I mean, it just seems like people do not want Bo Nix to be the quarterback. They want T.J. Finley or literally anybody else to be it, and I don't really understand it. Yeah, I, I agree. I think it's just – it's very strange just like – and it's really been I, – and I think one of the problems was because of the QB competition that happened between Bo Nix and Joey Gatewood. And since it was such such a debate and it was like, I mean, we didn't find out who the starter was until I think it was 11 days until the Oregon game. So there were the people that were like, oh, I want Joey to start or, oh, I want Bo to start. And then all the people that wanted Joey to start when he would come in against, you know, he came in against Oregon, he scored that, that one-yard touchdown, good for him. And then he played pretty well running the ball against some of the bad teams. And so when people see that, they're like, oh, this guy's good. I like this guy. And I feel like people aren't really realizing that playing Sanford and playing even a team like Mississippi State is night and day. Like, even though, yeah, you're going to beat both. Like, if you beat both by 30, it's not – it's just not the same. And people don't really realize that. So I definitely think that Bo Nix – and he really ha- – he's gotten – I mean, he, he has not had – a an easy road at Auburn. I mean, he got there with super high expectations, is thrown into the fire with one of the toughest schedules with a great defense. So people are expecting him. I mean, people were expecting us to make the playoffs, to beat these teams, to go into the swamp, to go into Death Valley and win those games. He's got, he had an offensive system that was not really good for him. He had, he's had, a different offensive coordinator every year he's been at Auburn. He's had two head coaches. I mean, he's just had so much turnover. It is just so difficult to succeed in that environment. And, I mean, he hasn't. I mean, it's not like he's been a world beater. I mean, he's won some games. He's lost some games. I mean, he's been, for the most part, we've won what we're supposed to and lost what we're supposed to. But I feel like – With people the one upset at versus Alabama. Yes, exactly. And so I think it's just – I think it's just people are associating Bo Nix with Gus Malzahn at this point. And Gus Malzahn, I mean, as of right now, is in the stage that he has been written off. I mean, nobody is a Gus fan right now. But so, Wheeler, what are your kind of thoughts about how the fan base treats Bo and how he should be able to grow going into this next year? And what is one thing especially that you – would be happy with seeing him improve upon that he has not been able to do the past two years, one thing. So I was listening to uh, – so the Jocks Roundtable went off in Birmingham and they started a new show, show McElroy and Kublik. So it's Cole Kublik and Greg McElroy doing basically a football, football breakdown show. And I will just say I love this show. It is very – like if you really want to get into the nitty-gritty of – how football works and people that break down film, like I would highly recommend listening to this show. 
So they did on Friday, um, they did like a little breakdown of Auburn. And they were talking about how many times Bo Nix threw the ball without his feet on the ground. Like, not like a jump pass, like a Tebow jump pass that like is just over the line, but they're talking about like 10-yard slants or like a corner route. And he literally just throws it with – like he jumps up in the air while he's on the run and just chunks it with all of his arm. And they're like – that's why so many of his balls were floating. Because, I mean, he was like – what NFL quarterback, other than maybe Patrick Mahomes, do you see throwing the ball with without their feet on the ground? Like, neither one of their feet are on the ground. And he's like, that's just not good football mechanics. So, I think – and I feel like Bo regressed from – at the Oregon game, he threw the ball away a lot. And I don't know why. He, like, went away from that. It's like he came into Auburn with better decision-making capabilities than – while he's been at Auburn it's like he feels the pressure to do stuff and like if a receiver's not open he's going to roll out of the pocket and instead of just throwing the ball away like he's trying to make something happen every single time I don't know if they told him he was throwing it away too much but honestly a lot of his interceptions were not I mean they were very preventable like they weren't terrible throws they were terrible decisions like it it was a throw that the throw was – if the guy was wide open, the throw would have been fine. The problem is the guy was not wide open. The guy wasn't even close to open, you know. And so that's what they were saying is he needs to go back to his decision-making of being okay with we're going to throw the ball away. Um, and from what we've heard out of the scrimmages, that hasn't happened. Now, in a scrimmage, do you have a little bit more of a green light because it doesn't really matter if you throw an interception? Maybe. And so maybe maybe that's really the situation is he's thinking – this is a scrimmage and in a real game, he's going to throw it away. Um, I definitely expect that to be something, though, that as, you know, they had scrimmage number one, they just finished up scrimmage number two on Friday, something that as you start getting into the game plan for Akron and you start getting outside of your base offense and you're getting more into that season mode and not just like this is learning, you know, whatever, that he's going to start doing a little bit more of that and they're going to start pushing that, you know, a little bit more. And you're starting to get some film again on yourself because you do. I mean, I know that they're doing practice every day, but you're not watching chunks of film, you know, like a game is until you've had a couple of scrimmages. Um, And so you expect that they're going to get better and better each time. So I don't know. I think that he'll get better. I don't under, I mean, I can see where the fan base would be disappointed because of, you know, him coming in as a five-star, but I think that he's definitely going to be good enough to win almost every game that Auburn, the defense and the receivers can keep us in. I don't think that he's necessarily going to be the weak link this season. Yeah. So I think that, yeah, I think you made some good points there. And I think it's also interesting to note, just like I made a post about this today and it was 12 of his 13 interceptions were away or at a neutral site. 12 out of the 13. And so I think that that is part of the decision-making process is, you know, a lot of those games, I mean, you know, he had, he had a rough game against Alabama in this year's Iron Bowl, you know, obviously Florida in the swamp. Uh, one of those was uh, LSU at, you know, the end of the half. And so that's, I mean, that's three intercept or six out of, I mean, that's half of his career interceptions in those three games. 
And so I think that was in all of those environments, it was hostile. It was a close game at the time. And it was like, he wanted to win the game and he was being pressured. He felt like he had to do something. Exactly. He was like, I can't just, you know, when he can't, when he, you know, when he comes in against Oregon, he's like, all right, I, I'm going to try and win the game and do all this. But he, he had a shift and it was really in that Florida game when it was like, okay, if we win this game, like, we might like, you know, if we win this, we could go to the playoffs. Like we can afford a loss to LSU, but if we beat Georgia and Alabama, we're in. And so that was when it was like, okay, I have to win this game. And he was like, I'm the starting quarterback. I have to win this game because our running game wasn't really doing it that game. So he was like, I've got to win this. And he's tried to force things and it didn't work, throw some interceptions. And that's when it got tough. And then, you know, obviously that Georgia game was, you know, just that was tough. But that that wasn't really – that wasn't on Bo, I don't think. And so it's just there was definitely a shift where it was like he started becoming in a mindset of I have to win this game instead of let's just live to see another down. Yeah. And so I think that is something that he has to back up and be able to just play football instead of trying to win the game every play. What do you think the impact of Harson and Mason being gone for 10 days basically of camp has? I think it'll be an interesting dynamic because I feel like it puts a little bit more on guys like Bo Nix and guys like Owen Papo to kind of lead their respective groups. Because I know Harson spends a lot of time, you know, he says he spends a lot of time with the winners, as he says. But, you know, he spends – I mean, he's, you know, head coach and starting quarterback are going to spend some time together. He's looking at the offense. And so I think with kind of the top dogs as the coaches going, you know, the players that are the top dogs in the room have to be able to step up. So I feel like Bo Nix and Owen Papo have to step up as leaders of the team a little bit earlier because, you know, obviously in a game on the field you got to step up. But it's like usually in preseason you don't really need a player to be – you know, like a coach almost. So I think that that is something that'll be, it's almost just like a warm up for when the season starts for those two guys. I think that it's more difficult having Mason gone than Horson, honestly. Um, because I feel like head coaches are such like a CEO almost, mm-hmm. you know, that their job can be done a little bit more easily from you know, different places. Like you can still set the schedule. You can still host your coaches meetings, but missing your defensive coordinator in 10 days in camp is really, that's a tough one. Yeah. But I think it's much better that it's as, I mean, obviously we don't want anyone, I mean, you don't want anyone to get it, but it's better that I think Derek Mason has that as opposed to a guy like Mike Bobo, because the defense is, the defense is going to be good. The defense has some really good guys. The defense is a very cohesive unit. A ton of those guys have been playing for a couple of years. The offense isn't like that. The offense kind of needs a little bit more hand-holding than the defense. So I definitely think it's a little bit more advantageous that Derek Mason is the one that's going to be gone for 10 days as opposed to Mike Bobo or someone who's really active in the offensive role. Yeah. Uh, but just a couple more notes from uh, the practice, and you can feel free to you know hop in and uh, comment on any of these if you would like. Donovan Kaufman and Sean Shivers appeared to be the two starting kicker turners. That is a change. Tank Bigsby off of kicker turn. Real quick, just what do you think about what? – what is your opinion on that? I know there's kind of differing opinions. 
uh, that people have on if you would like your best player as a kicker turner or if you think it's too risky for injury? I personally think it's a little risky for injury, especially if you're starting like if your starting guy is a so okay, Alabama last year, Jalen Waddle, elite speed that nobody else on the team has, speed and agility wise. Okay. Tank Bixby, definitely a power guy. Great running back. Is Tank the guy necessarily that's going to break off an 80-yard run, though? I mean, maybe he could, but he's not He's not like Waddle, who's just like a super elusive person. So I don't know why you would risk somebody that, you know, that's not really their specialty, but it's a very injury-prone position. Um, Kaufman, honestly, he is a great returner. Like, mm-hmm. In high school and at Vandy, like that's his calling card. So I, I'm perfectly good with that. I think, and same with Shivers, he has a lot more of those big, long, just like chunk runs that the offensive line opens up a seam and he takes off and gets it. Um, then Tank does. So I feel like both of those would be really solid kickoff return options. And if one of them goes down, obviously big loss for the defense. Um, and then Shivers being the backup running back, I, I don't know that. You know, you'd never want to see somebody get hurt, but I think there are other running backs that could fill in his spot on the offense. Yeah, I agree. I agree with that. Uh, a couple other things. Uh, you know, the wide, the wide receivers did not have the best day yesterday. It could have been an anomaly, but they had some drops uh, that were just on air. I mean, that's something that a coach is – I mean, a coach is going to chew a player out if you're dropping the ball on air, if it hits you in the hands – so that's a thing, you know, I think we're going to have a little bit of frustration with the wide receivers. We know they're young. We know they have a little bit of talent, but that group as a whole is going to be a lot of new faces and then a lot of opportunity to play. So I think that, you know, if someone starts dropping the ball on air, we're going to be able to see a lot of uh, fluidity in that room. Yeah, it seems like Xavion uh, Capers and Demetrius Robertson are <clears throat> kind of going to be the two go-to guys. Um, which I think is good because, I mean, I remember A-Day. I was like, we got to find some people. And both of those guys were not playing at A-Day. Um, Xavion because of his foot and uh, Demetrius because he wasn't on campus yet. And, uh, yeah, I mean, I think it didn't take a rocket scientist to look at the receiver situation on A-Day and say that that was not conducive to winning SEC football games. Yeah, and another guy to note is uh, Javarius Johnson. You know, everyone's been saying he's had a great fall camp. He was running with the ones yesterday. I think he's going to be a guy that we'll be able to see uh, see get a lot of meaningful meaningful snaps this year. So I'm excited about that. Uh, this was something that, you know, you, you said that you like to hear. You know, you had Demetrius Davis and Landon King, uh, former high school teammates now at Auburn, having a good, good couple connections running with the third-team offense. So, I know that you're a little bit you – know, you're a fan of Demetrius Davis. Do you think that he could be the guy in a couple of years, or do you think uh, – what's uh, – Holden Gurner is going to come in and become the guy? I could really see either one of them. From what I've heard, uh, Demetrius Davis has really improved since the spring. Um, and if he's able to keep on improving, then he could definitely make a run for being uh, the quarterback at Auburn. Um, from what I've heard, he's been super coachable um, and just, you know, doing what the coaches say to do, putting the work in. Um, 
and really showing stride. So I don't know much about Holden. Uh, I mean, I know that he's a good high school football player, but as we've seen, just because you're a good high school football player doesn't necessarily mean you're going to translate into a starting quarterback. Um, but no, I think it's good. I'm glad that we're starting to have some organic quarterback growth of like, these guys are going to be on the roster for a couple of years, hopefully, you know, and so you're looking and you're like, okay, so you'll have Demetrius who's been here, knows the offense will be competing against Holden instead of this. Oh, well, this guy couldn't play somewhere. Let's bring him in because I mean, most of the time when somebody transfers it's because they weren't good enough to play there. Now, Joe Burrow, he's a transfer. Okay, well, he was stuck behind two NFL quarterbacks. So it's that's not an indictment on him sucking. I mean, he had two really good guys. Um, but, like, look, Joey Gatewood, he can't start at Auburn, transfers to Kentucky. He can't start at Kentucky. He goes to UCF. I mean. And probably won't start there either. And probably I mean, won't start there either, yeah. He's like Tate Martell. Don't swing and miss twice. Swings and misses twice. <laughs> I mean, so typically a quarterback transfer is not a, a lot of times what you want to see. Um, and then all the people say, you know, Cam's a quarterback transfer, but Cam got kicked off the team. Uh, Nick Marshall transfer. He didn't play quarterback at Georgia. I'm trying to think of many quarterback transfers. There's, I mean, Joe Burrow is obviously going to be the one that everybody says, but there are not a lot that I can just – think of that I'm like, wow, they really – well, I guess, okay, Justin Fields, but also, again, NFL guy in front of him. Yeah, so, and I think that's that's the big thing is it's like you look at it, it's like, yeah, like they didn't play, but it's like, why would they play, you know? Like, look at Ohio State when they had Burrow. They were winning games with their guys. Like, Dwayne Haskins was statistically one of the best Big Ten quarterbacks to ever play. Like – you can't just be like, okay, yeah, like we're going to put this guy – like, yeah, you are you threw for 500 yards this week, but we're going to put this guy out here because he's been balling out in camp. It's like, no, like that's not how it works. Like – and even Cam Newton, like even if he hadn't – like he wasn't going to play at Florida. Like, you know, like the reason he was a backup there was because Tim Tebow was there. And so I think that that is something that you have to keep in mind. If they're transferring because there is an all-world quarterback playing in front of them, yes, that is something. Or like Jake Fromm. I mean, Jake Fromm was a good – I mean, he led his team to a national championship as a true freshman. I mean, he was a really good quarterback, and so I think that, you know, that's a that's a good point. you got to look at who's in front of them when they when they leave. Uh, another note, uh, Sean Jackson is a name that a lot of people haven't really heard a whole lot of uh, as a running back. He had a really good day yesterday. He was a lot – he was with the third team a lot. So him, Jarquez Hunter – Jordan Ingram are going to be guys that are going to kind of be competing for that third string running back spot behind Tank Bixby and Sean Shivers. Uh, but Sean Jackson is a name to watch for that third string spot. And I think we'll see a lot of fluidity from that position, especially in the first two weeks. Uh, and won't see a whole lot of Tank because we know what he can do. Uh, but yeah, so that was kind of going through the practice notes. And then we can kind of transition to well, I mean, right now we can just transition to the list that we were talking about. Um, I was going to ask Wheeler. I posted on the story a list. I believe it was Bo Nix or Sean White, who was better? Bo Nix or Chris Todd, who was better? Bo Nix or Brandon Cox, who was better? 
Uh, so Wheeler, why don't you go ahead and give us a list of how you would rank those four former Auburn QBs in this past 12 years? So I would go Bo Nix number one. Then I'd take Chris Todd number two. Then I'd go Sean White three and Brandon Cox four. Now, here's the deal. Sean White, result-wise, had a much worse career at Auburn. The teams that Sean White played on, though, were significantly worse than the teams that Brandon Cox played on. So I think that if you had Sean White and you put him on Brandon Cox's teams with the same defense that Brandon had, the same running backs that Brandon had, he would have been more successful than Brandon was. We were talking about this before the show, and I had it reversed. And the more I thought about it, you're right. So Brandon had two of the worst games I think Auburn quarterbacks have ever had. Really, one of them was worse than any other game. So his first game as a freshman against Georgia Tech, I believe he threw three, maybe four interceptions. Yeah, four interceptions. So I'm like, okay, that's not great. You look at the 2006 Georgia game. He had more completions to Georgia than he did to his own guys in the first half, and he never got past that in the second half. He finished the game with literally as many interceptions as he did completions. And then we also saw that he had two more yards than he had completion percentage. He literally threw for, like, 35 yards and had a 33% completion percentage. Like, do you know how hard that is to do? Like, that he could – that's like – you couldn't even hit a screen pass. You couldn't even that like at that point as a coach, do you not just run like the play where they they bring the guy in motion and they just like toss it forward so that like his completion percentage, he has more completions to at least his own team. And he played the whole game. That's the sad thing. Like those stats sound like he played five possessions and you know, threw a pick on four of them and then got pulled like Spurrier would have done. This guy played the entire game and still did that. That is absolute garbage. And it's not even like his receivers and his running backs were that bad. Like, he's not on a historically horrible Auburn football team. He's on a team that upset Florida earlier in the year and would go on and beat Alabama the next week. Like, (laughs) he's on a good team. (laughs) He was just that bad. Yeah, and – yeah, and that, that's why I had to put him at the lowest because he was on both the Georgia Tech game and that game. He is on really solid teams, and he had just abysmal, abysmal performances. Yeah, I, I think Bo Nick, if you compare Bo Nix and Brandon Cox, Brandon had the games that were just terrible. I mean, horrible, like we talked about. But the thing is, Brandon Cox – he was the quarterback of teams that ended up winning games that they were not supposed to. So, I mean, you look at, I mean, you look at that 2006 season, he beat the number six team in the country. He beat the number two team in the country. He beat Alabama and was terrible against Georgia. Really was terrible against Arkansas that year too. Uh, That was the other loss we had. Uh, 2005 was kind of the same way. I mean, a close loss to that, a really good LSU team a win against a good Alabama and a good Georgia team. And I mean, you, you just, and then a terrible game against Georgia tech. So it was just so weird that it was like, he could look 
terrible one day, but you could never count out a team that he was the quarterback of. And so I think that's kind of why people hold Brandon Cox in a, you know, a nice light because it's like, okay, he won games, never lost to Alabama, all that good stuff. Was the last Auburn quarterback to win in Sanford Stadium, mm-hmm. 2005, before his miserable performance in 2006 against them. Yeah, they got they got him back for that. But let's say, and so were you were you done talking about your your four? Yeah, yeah. So mine, I think for mine, I'm gonna make it just for the sake of having it be different than yours. We're gonna have I think Chris Todd at number one. Bo Nix at number two, and then Sean White at three, Brandon Cox at four. I think Sean White is one of the most underrated quarterbacks in the past 10 years. Everyone hates on him, but in 2016, we did not have hope when he was not playing. I mean, you look at, you look at that season. Week one, Clemson, that Clemson team ended up winning the national championship. We lost by six, and – that was the game when Gus Malzahn tried the three-quarterback system that failed miserably in a game that we could have won if we had just started one of those guys. So that was other – than, Other than Chandler Cox. Wasn't Chandler one of the three-quarterbacks? Chandler did have a, a few pass attempts that year. That, few, was, the, uh, that was the the ballet play that Gus thought would be a great idea, and then he kept it uh, in hibernation until the Alabama game. And then Chandler Cox came out and tried to do. And that was another thing. That was a weird thing. And just real quick, we can talk. Just when Gus Malzahn would try and be like, when he had that one, uh, I think it was the, the 2018 Iron Bowl, tried to do a fourth down conversion. It was like a fourth and two. And instead of giving it to, I mean, instead of having Stidham try and throw for the first down, instead of having one of the running backs try and run for the first down, he ended up having a fake where Anders Carlson tried to run over Dylan Moses for the first down, and he just got absolutely dropped. And it was just I thought like, Anders was dead. And it was like, why did we – like, why is this what we did? And that was just one of the many, many Gus things. But anyway, looking into that 2016 season, really when he got hurt – and it was real. So it was that that 16 team was kind of rolling, had just beat the brakes off of Arkansas. That was a ranked team at the time. Beat them 56 to three, had beaten LSU earlier in the season, beat a decent Ole Miss team, going into that Vandy game, and Sean White missed the first half. And it was a horrible game. JF3 was, I think he completed two passes. I mean, it was, it was horrible. He couldn't do anything. The offense was terrible. We were in a close game with Vandy at home. It was horrible. Sean White comes in and in the second half goes 10 of 13 for 106 yards and a touchdown. We end up winning the game. And obviously that was the game. Cameron Petway tore his hamstring. But before he tore his hamstring, going into that game, we had, I mean, there were were talks. I mean, it was obviously playoff was a long shot. But that team had some some momentum going in. I mean, two losses were to – an elite team in Clemson and a good team in Texas A&M had ranked wins, but going into that Georgia game when Sean White was hurt, it just all fell apart and the, just the train just went off the tracks. And I think, and going in and the Oklahoma game when it was a close game, Sean White gets hurt, we just get blown out of the door. 
And so I think what my thing is saying with that is that when Sean White was playing in 2016, we had a chance. And when he was not, we did not have a chance. So that's where I'm coming from when I say that he was really underrated because people talk about him like he was worse than Jeremy Johnson. And it was like, look, Sean White beat some good teams and he put good performances in an Auburn uniform. And so I just think that he was just a little underrated just due to the fact that he didn't really have a marquee win against a really good team. But I think that if he had, I mean, I think if he had started that whole Clemson game and we had upset Clemson, you know, I think that the, the, stigma around Sean White would have been a little different. I agree. Or if he had gotten a first down against Georgia. Okay. Yes. His shoulder was – I mean, he was – yeah. That was just a rough game. But anyway, uh, yeah. And I think Chris Todd was – I mean, I think Chris Todd was a talented passer, could score. I think that Bo Nix top to bottom is a better prospect. I mean, if you look at his – especially his paired with his running ability, I think it's – you know, far and away, but I feel like we just don't really use Bo Nix's running ability anywhere near like we should. And I think that if you're just looking at the passing ability of those four guys, I think Chris Todd is the most talented passer from what we saw at his time at Auburn and what we've seen from Bo Nix's time at Auburn. But, but with no I, result. Okay, yes, that's true. I mean, he didn't beat anybody interesting. Hey, he had a big time, big time win against Ball State. If you forgot about that, uh, was it a big win? I'm, I've kind of remember it was, it was a win. Ball State or Florida Atlantic that year that Auburn wrestled with them Angels, as Pat Dye would say. It was a win where he threw for five touchdowns. What was the score? There was one of one of the cupcake games back in '09 that was just tragic. The thing is, though, sometimes in the cupcake games, you just gotta, you just gotta, you know, kind of ease into it. I mean, look at 2017. We only beat Mercer by 14. Hey, let me tell you this: if Auburn doesn't beat the brakes off of Akron, the comment section is gonna get ugly. It's gonna get very ugly. People are fired up right now, and I do not know why people are so fired up. I mean, people want to fire the man already, and he hasn't even lost a game yet. That literally the only thing that has happened so far is two bad scrimmage reports and Harson gets COVID, and I think Auburn has melted down. I mean, literally, Auburn Twitter the last two days has been not the place to be. It, it's crazy. All right, yeah. here we go. We're pulling up the 2009 schedule. And... Ball State, wow, solid defensive effort, giving up 30 to the Ball State Cardinal. Hey, I'm just saying, though, Chris Todd doesn't play defense. He put up he put up 50-something. I mean, he did his job. Did we not play Florida Atlantic this year? I don't think uh, so. Uh, oh, I'm thinking of Louisiana Tech. 37 mm. to 13. I guess that's convincing. It, it was the Ball State game, though, that I'm remembering, giving up 30. Yeah, and it was just not an inspiring showing by the whole team. They gave up less to Alabama than they did to Ball State. This is Auburn, ladies and gentlemen. This is Auburn. Oh, yes, and I forgot about the Kentucky L that we took that year. Or the old 
21-point defeat to the Razorbacks. Yeah, well. And you have this man ranked as your number one quarterback other than Cam Newton and Nick Marshall. Jarrett Stidham. Jarrett Stidham's up there, too. So, okay, so three. he's your fourth best quarterback in the from 2005 onwards, so the past 16 years. Okay, but let's be – I mean, if you're looking at the starting quarterbacks, I mean, you have Brandon Cox, Chris Todd, Cam Newton, Barrett Trotter, Clint Mosley, Kyle Frazier, Jonathan Wallace, Nick Marshall. JF3, JF3 for a couple games, yeah. Uh, Jeremy Johnson, Sean White. Jarrett Stidham, and Bo Nix. I mean, there aren't that many good quarterbacks on that list. I mean, there just really isn't. I mean, there, there are three good quarterbacks and everyone else, and everyone else is vying for number one, or number one on the not great but decent. And then there are just some guys that were just flat out bad. But anyways – Moving on to a different aspect of the football program, you look at a good recruiting day on Thursday with a four-star commitment from athlete Amari Kelly from Hewitt Trustful, and then you have two-sport athlete Trey Donaldson, who is ranked as a four-star safety and a four-star point guard, according to 24-7. Wheeler, how are you excited about these two guys coming in and how the recruiting has made a steady incline with both good players and numbers-wise coming in at 38th in the country, which is an improvement from what we've been looking at in the past month. I'm just glad that things are starting to pick up in recruiting. We knew that they would pick up in recruiting. Okay, I mean, we're an SEC school. We were not going to just absolutely tank recruiting. I think that everyone not knowing about Harson has, like, almost put this speculation inside of their head that, like, Auburn is just going to absolutely crumble as a football program and that, like, what's been built since Pat Dye is just going to – the foundations will shake and crumble and we won't be anywhere good at football. Um, And that's just not the case. Like, that, if the guy is a total disaster, it'll be fine. They'll get rid of him and they'll get somebody else. But I think that the recruiting shows, like, it's all going to be okay. Like, it's going to be okay. Bo Nix threw a couple of interceptions in the past couple scrimmages. Yes, the head coach has COVID. It's going to be okay. Hey, Nick Saban had COVID during the Iron Bowl last year, and they still beat the brakes off of us. Like, the, the head coach having COVID is not going to just totally ruin your season. So, I just – I think, as with everything, it's getting better. It's going to get there. There was a little bit of a transition period, and it's all good now. Um, but I'm really excited because of crystal balls and stuff. It looks like our receiver class might be the most dynamic receiver class Auburn's had in a long time. Like, it's actually going to look like an SEC receiving class, which Lord knows we need because the receivers that we have now, God love them. I know that they're working hard, but the results, they aren't there yet. They they don't look like a playoff receiving core. That's all I'm going to say. Yeah, I agree. And also, I think uh, just something to add, you look at – if you look at the 24-7 sports recruiting rankings, yes, Auburn is ranked 38th, which, you know, you've got that – you know, you've got the fans going to be like, oh, 38th, that's terrible. We have – I mean, we've got so-and-so ahead of us. That's embarrassing, whatever. Auburn has a higher average commit rank 
So if if you look at the score that 24-7 gives everybody, Auburn's average player in the recruiting class is at like an 88.3. And so if you look at all that, Auburn is has a higher average commit rank than 19 teams that are ahead of us. And so if you look at that, you're like, okay, if you look at it in that way, all of a sudden Auburn's got a top 20 recruiting class. And that's yeah. the thing. It's like – would you rather be, I mean, would you rather be Boston College with 22 commits that are, you know, an average of 86, or would you rather be Auburn that has the average of 88 and 11 commits? You know, it's like, would you rather have 11 good players, or would you rather have 22 okay players? So that's kind of how I'm looking at this recruiting class is just because we're 38, that does not necessarily mean that our class is th- the 38th best in the country. So that's what I wanted to say. I agree. But yeah, so that's kind of uh, that's kind of it for today. We're going to go back into uh, weekly episodes starting now. You know, we had a ton of stuff going on. I had COVID. Wither left the country. It was a whole whole ordeal. Difficult to get a pod in. But with 13 days until kickoff today, next week we'll be going in depth in game week and it'll be talking about just you know matchups for Akron and just like getting excited about the game week following week we'll be able to talk about the game all that good stuff we'll be going into the weekly podcast so be sure to be on the lookout for that leave a review you know all that good stuff uh and so we're going to get this posted and we'll be back next week War Eagle War Eagle